0: Five Seconds of Summer once sang Situation, No Motivation, Destination, Permanent Vacation. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kentad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to your friend and mine, A.J.
1: yep.
0: Hey, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> hey, A.J., nothing. I'm uh, getting all packed for a vacation. I'm planning on leaving tomorrow. Just got to check my doggy door, make sure it's okay.
1: Um, just be very, very, very careful because the calls may be coming from inside the house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, when this Stranger Calls and does a podcast. That's what we're doing for you, folks. This is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. We recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show each week. I have never seen the show before, so I'm giving you that sort of first watch perspective. While AJ has seen every episode multiple times, and he will be giving you the re-watch aspect, perspective of a longtime fan. AJ, this week we are recapping season one, episode seven of Criminal Minds, and it's entitled The Fox. Hee-hoo <laughs> hoo-hee! And it was directed by our friend uh, from Episode 5, Guy Norman B., and written by one Simon Mirren.
1: No relation to Helen, right? <laughs>
0: no, not as far as
1: I know. And he is British. I do know that. But I didn't look into any further than that.
0: <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe they're cousins. Possibly. You never know. Uh, so this originally aired back on November 9, 2005. What were you doing then?
1: Oh, November 9, 2005. Uh... Changing diapers, probably. (laughs) Wow. Not my own, though. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's good.
0: (laughs) As long as we have that established. (laughs) All right. Enough of the uh, hilarity. Let's get into our episode of the week. And, uh, AJ, our opening scene starts out with sort of a POV shot, presumably from some scoundrel's point of view, outside a home in the middle of the night. Then we hear a child screaming, and when we cut to a normal shot inside the house, it's just a boy playing rambunctiously with his father.
1: Yeah, a little bait and switch there. You thought we were going to get a little like right into the heart of brutality, and and no, no, they like to do this on this show. They like to play with you. But the thing is, as we've said before, and we'll say many times, when you they get you laughing, you know it's going to take a turn. (laughs)
0: Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's not like. You're going to have a, a feel-good-the-whole-way-through episode of Criminal Minds, no, I don't
1: think. No, no, never one that's going to end with the turtles happy together.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're, indeed, we're in the house of a, a typical American family, father, mother, son, and daughter, and they're having a night at home before a planned Disney World vacation, which surprised me a bit.
1: It not only surprised you, it surprised the daughter. I mean, <laughs> the, it, the delivery of that line. This is why kid actors are either really, really good or you really, really wish they had not cast anybody in this role with the speaking part because it's like, dad, oh, don't worry. We'll do it in the car on the way to Disney World. <gasps> like she didn't know she's yeah. going
0: to Disney World? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They hadn't already prepped her for that. Yeah. <laughs> And also, this being a CBS show, not an ABC show, I would have thought they would have gone with a, a Paramount property. I believe Paramount. Well, they may have gotten out of the theme park business. I know they had a, a Six Flags park for a while.
1: Yeah, sure, so. sure. But, you know, really, we're going to Jackson, New Jersey. It just doesn't have the same ring of excitement to it.
0: <laughs> anyway, this family's all excited, and the mom is teasing the dad for being more like the kids and not really helping her out around the house, and... uh it's just a normal, peaceful family scene. Um, so they might as well go call in the dog, whose name is Ben, which I just enjoyed. I love it when we just give a dog a straightforward...
1: Yeah, you know, I, I will say this is not a very long opening sequence, but I, I really ran the gamut of emotions throughout it between really liking this family and really hating this family. It was, it was a yo-yo <laughs> Oh, well, it's time to go to bed, Mr. Crawford. Yes, Mrs. Crawford, kill them. Kill them now, please. Uh, enough <laughs> and then it was man. like... Oh, we can't find the dog. Oh, oh, here's the dog! Yay!
0: Yay. <laughs> it was a yo-yo trip, and the uh, dog comes in through the doggy door. Uh, but then we again see after that the skulking POV shot. So I thought they were going to try to trick us with the POV being that of the dog, but <laughs> it seems like uh, there's a, another skulky POV shot from someone out there, and my guess is someone nefarious.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm actually surprised that the, someone nefarious wasn't holding the dog, like, or, you know, with the dog or the poisoning the dog or something. No, the dog was just, didn't really want to go in the house either. He probably was like, oh, they're doing Mr. and Mrs. Crawford time. I'm going to wait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Mr. Crawford uh, looks around and, and gives kind of a look outside, but pretty much shuts the lights off. He's ready. He's good to go to bed. And we do see a quick shot of a a, 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 loop, a, a figure outside. Before we cut to the next morning and the alarm is going off. You're listening to Exposition Radio here on <laughs> yes.
1: KTV Radio. Exposition Radio. It's a beautiful morning. Nothing could possibly go wrong for you today here on Exposition Radio. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course. Mother wakes up and realizes pretty quickly that the person in the bed next to her is not her husband since he's bound and gagged in a chair next to the bed. Uh, that was the sip off, huh? <laughs> yeah. Looking pretty frightened. (laughs) At this point, we cut to uh, the BAU office and we uh, and we hear Gideon give us our episode, which meant I mean, our episode quote. So that means no jet for this week. I'm assuming this is a local case close to home. Here's our quote. Dr. Thomas Fuller wrote with foxes. We must play the fox
1: episode title in the quote very nicely done so we can put a little check mark there and give credit to uh gideon i mean i'm not gonna give credit to the doctor who <laughs> said the quote because gideon yes. voiced it aloud so hey get it out of the way cool done and done gideon gets the quote uh yeah i mean it's a quote that related to the title i mean you know it's, 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 it's no, no need to look deeper than that
0: <laughs> Yeah, enough said so gideon is putting up some crime scene photos of our family from the intro, and uh, sadly, all of them were killed. It looks like even poor Ben, the dog, got 86 L walks in, and he explains that this is the Crawford family. They were butchered in their home. L asks if it was a murder-suicide, and Gideon says, well, that's like the whole point of the next 40-odd minutes, L.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, there's a lot of L...
0: Uh, coming into
1: scenes this episode with one one line, and it's a question that someone then explains to her. Uh, again, this might have been a, uh, a script that was written before they had all the cast cast, because it's just like Elle really has. N- there's nothing here for Elle in this. There
0: really isn't. Uh, so then we have our credits. Hodge and his wife are there, and I'm getting excited because I feel like I'm getting ready to find out some information. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, how could you not find out the information here? As we are seeing for the first time, baby Hutchner, the brand new baby Hutchner. Doesn't look like my prediction is going to be answered here, AJ. <laughs> isn't, isn't that a kick, in the, a kick in the head? <laughs> they don't tell us the name of the baby, and furthermore, it's a girl. Oh no, it's not a girl. Do- Oh, it's not a girl. she said See, it was a girl. No, I
1: understand exactly why you thought it was a girl. See, I know it's a boy, which is what he said is she's very brave. I'm not. He was referring to his wife. Why? Is being brave with the new baby. I totally, okay. I totally get why you it, thought that.
0: I thought it was saying it was a girl. So I was like, oh, well, then I was really double crossed here. Okay. You know what? you know.
1: The VAU has been off with their profiles many times and will continue to be, but not when they actually have seen the pictures and gotten these sonograms They knew okay. it was a boy. It's a boy. But, yeah, I, I, it would have been a lot easier. I don't know why they didn't just give us the name of the baby right here. It is very frustrating. Yeah, they did not, and I was waiting for it. You know, I was waiting for well, it. You, um, your, your your prediction guess will have to wait at least one more week before we. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm, you know, even having watched it so many times, I was not aware that this was not when they were going to announce <laughs> the name. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh,
0: wait, they didn't. They didn't say the name, did they? Rewind, rewind, rewind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, after everybody in the office stands around and does the normal office ooing and eyeing, uh, Haley uh, Hotchner takes her leave. And the team meets up to discuss the Crawford family case.
1: Yeah. I mean, Hotch even he, even gets a little chuckle uh, when, when Morgan's like, uh, you know, uh, Garcia turns to Morgan and is like, hey, do you think, ever think you want one of these one day? And he's like, yeah, I'll just stick to practicing. And even Hotch snorts at that. <laughs> <because> <laughs> yeah. Hotch is probably in this scene and in these moments the happiest he will ever be. Like, he's a new, proud daddy. Right. And you can – I like the fact that even even Hodge is going to laugh now because it's like he's happy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Say what you want to say, Morgan. So anyway, after Haley leaves uh, and they're talking about the case, the Crawford family, they were found in their basement, AJ. Their bags are packed for vacation. Morgan says that the re- news report said it was a murder-suicide, that the dead uh, stopped, stabbed the mom and then shot himself. Case closed then. <laughs> yeah. Case closed. Okay. Maryland, that's what the Maryland police think. Dad was by the gun. He had gun residue on him. And Morgan's like, so do you have a reason to think it wasn't murder-suicide? And J.J. is all, yeah, how about another murdered family, Morgan?
1: <laughs> I, and I do, I do like uh, the agency here for J.J. is like, you know, because normally uh, you, you would think, yo, how do these cases – we don't know how these cases come to be or anything. We haven't really learned that procedural thing yet. But that's J.J.'s job. J.J.'s job is, as we'll learn – is to pick which cases they actually go out on unless they're actually there's a request that comes in from like you know higher up say you know uh, this is the chief you have to do this case you know it's basically jj her job is to screen them so it's nice to see that being developed here like yeah well uh, brace yourself here you go yeah. i know what i'm doing thank you shut up
0: <laughs> so uh hi we're the millers mother two kids new husband unfortunately they were found the same way as the crawfords were In their basement, bags were packed for vacation, Uh, and in both cases, the bodies were discovered five days after their vacations were supposed to have started. But oddly, in both cases, the coroner coroner had found that they had uh, only been dead for 24 hours, so that meant for four days, both families were just remained just stuck in their house. Who knows what was going on? Yeah, a little bit days. of
1: over-explaining here from Reed. I mean, it's like, so they they were in, you know, they're supposed to go away for five days, and they, they were dead only for, for 24 hours when they were found. So that means five minus one equals four. <laughs> yeah,
0: thanks, genius. <laughs> yeah. So uh, JJ talks about immediately it could be this suspect that they have and, and holds up a mugshot of one Eric Miller who is the biological father of the kids in the Miller case, and the mother in that case, Reese Miller, had a restraining order against him for domestic violence, and she had actually married her new husband only a week before they were killed. Sucks for him. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: yeah. hey, that, the, that is the worst honeymoon ever. Yeah. And that and kind of means that this might have been their honeymoon that they were planning, but they were taking the kids with? Like, I don't know, it's... Unless they were taking the kids to drop off somewhere and then proceeding on, maybe. That, that would make more sense. So, all right, I'm not going to poo-poo the Millers. I mean, you know, why, why kick family when they're dead?
0: <laughs> they could have said, you know what, for the kids, to celebrate the marriage, for the kids, we're going to do this vacation first, and then we'll do a, a little something for us a little bit later.
1: Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe. But, I mean, you know, you, you see that picture. Uh, did you recognize the actor in the picture immediately? Oh,
0: we, we go get into that. Yes, okay, of course. Cool. Just immediately. Make it sure. Just making sure. <laughs> I will not say his name three times, but I recognize who it was. <laughs> anyway, he's the biological father. He's uh, he had been beating her, and so they found him and arrested him. He was holed up in a, a motel, and unfortunately, he had traces of his children's blood on his jacket. But there doesn't appear to be any link between Miller and the Crawford family. No indication that he knew the Crawford family. He apparently hadn't said a, a word since his arrest. Uh, And the Arlington PD have asked the BAU team to question him. Uh, Reed says if anyone could be cap, looks like they could be capable of using overwhelming force. This guy looks like it. And I guess since he spoke up, Gideon gives him the assignment of interviewing Miller.
1: In which case, uh, Reed immediately turns into the footpath killer and develops a (laughs) a stutter that he never had before.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Reed is like me and and Morgan looks at him like him. <laughs> and, uh, Gideon says, "Yeah, you've done interviews before under supervision. You can you can go solo on this one."
1: I got to say I had to laugh out loud because Reed actually does that thing where he's he pulls his collar like mm, mm, I'm yes. hot. Mm.
0: <laughs> Gideon does tell Morgan that the Crawford house is a fresh crime scene. And then he holds up a picture of the scene so that they can travel there.
1: We're going to do some Kodak traveling. Uh, It's it's more popular than a flu powder.
0: (laughs) Gideon and Morgan are now at the scene checking it out. The medical examiner said they were all killed in the basement. And Gideon says, I'm the um um-sub. How would I do it? And Morgan says, well, I had to bring them all down here first. And Gideon says, well, how? Morgan says, I had a gun. Then Morgan says he'd stab them next, and the father first, he was the strongest, and then the mother, uh, Gideon asks, but how are you going to keep the kids from running away? And Morgan says restraints, but no restraints were found uh, anywhere on the scene, and there was no ligature marks on the kids to indicate such. Uh, so they go to look at the rest of the house for more clues.
1: Yeah, it's. it's I mean... Gideon took every opportunity during the sea to just uh, like, no, wrong, uh, uh-uh, uh, not that doesn't work, uh, uh-uh, uh, you're stupid. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, do you know the answer? Well, do you know the answer? <laughs>
0: just say what it is this is how I learn you just say what it is Gideon don't tell me
1: <laughs> damn like I mean I but I do I do like the fact that again we, we're, we're at least seeing now that it, maybe it wasn't Morgan like that he has this love because in the episode with the twins being kidnapped it was kind of like oh this is just what Morgan does no this is what Morgan's been trained to do and like Gideon's been he's actually a very very good agent who follows the procedure as it is supposed to be you know so I, I do like that it's a little flash of that here
0: Hotch and Elle are looking at the case files and listening to a tape of the medical examiner's report. And Hotch notices a uh, photo of Chris Crawford and he isn't wearing his wedding ring in the photo, um, but it was obvious he wore one. So where is it? Where's the ring? Yeah,
1: it's very straightforward. I mean, I did I did like the fact that that instead of having to actually take a scene and go to another location and visit the coroner and have the coroner tell them everything, you know, oh this is what happened, this is what happened, like they're listening to a uh, you know audio on tape kind of. Uh, and then I investigated this body and this body showed this, and I investigated this body and this this body showed this. So at least you know we didn't have to introduce a whole new character and go through pleasantries and have them like well, what does that mean? Like it's just, just hey, look at this picture. Here it is. Good. <laughs>
0: Next, AJ, we cut to an interrogation room, and we see a man is in restraints, restraints. and this is Eric Miller, the ex-husband from the first case, and this is also the Candyman, a.k.a. Tony Todd. If you guys out there know who this actor is, he's been in a ton of of things, a lot of scary roles. Uh, He does have a kind of a menacing presence say the least.
1: Uh, We love the Tony Todd, and uh, my favorite role of his is, of course, as uh, Worf's brother on Star Trek The Next Generation. (laughs) But no, yeah, Tony Todd, he's an imposing presence. He's got such a deep voice, and it's just, it's not even so much what he says, it's just you feel every word that he says as it just comes through at the lower levels of your stereo, and his very mom is menacing there. It's just just he's, and, and, and he's just got such emotion in his acting. He's just a, it's a great get for this show, I think, to have Tony Todd and Tony Todd usually, usually plays
0: the bad guy <laughs> setting you up here. You know, uh, uh oh, it's Candyman. I I, I I'm, I'm still going to call him Candyman, even though he has been I wrote Candyman in my notes. <laughs> OK, anyway, our boy Reed comes in <laughs> and uh, introduces himself. Miller appears to be immune to the Dr. Reed charm as he says, You got something to ask me, boy. Look in my eyes and ask. Humana, 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 humana. <laughs> the first so of course the first thing Dr. Reed does is not look in his eyes and start a question. Tony Todd is like, Did I just not explain the <laughs> rules to you? So Reed gives him a, looks at him in the eye. I, and I gotta give props to Reed here. He he steals himself and, and does the job. Uh, says, three days ago, Crawford family were killed. Did you know him? Miller wants to know what's up. And the questioning continues, and Miller gets quickly hostile. I would say he wants to know what's going on. He starts getting loud. Uh, Hotch and Elle walk into the room. And, Mr. Miller, sit down. And Tony Todd says, is this yo daddy <laughs> to read? Which just cracked me up. Uh, yeah, it was good. I mean –
1: The one thing I will say that I didn't like about this scene is uh, that Reed Reed is clearly trying to show him photos of the crime scene to kind of gauge his emotional response to seeing the pictures. You would think he would show him a picture that was actually of something other than just a hand he shows him a <laughs> picture of his son's hand i'm just like okay it's just a hand that's not going to get any emotion out of anybody i just i don't i don't understand that i mean i understand it's cbs and you don't want to show a huge graphic photo but it shows something a little more that's going to get him a little more riled up. Uh, right. I mean, well he got riled up anyway indeed well, yeah. I mean, so much so he slammed the table and Reed practically, you know, just wet himself right there on the spot.
0: But again, Reed, you know, holds his own. Tony Todd is like, I'm done talking to you people. And Reed's like, you don't have to talk. Just listen. And he gives Miller probably as blunt of an assessment of his life as Gideon would, but nicer. If that makes any sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, usually get injured because you're stupid, you're an idiot, you wet the bed. <laughs> yeah.
0: He talks about how Miller used to beat his wife when he was drunk, but he felt remorse afterwards. How his own father was an alcoholic. How he suffered physical and then sexual abuse when he was a young boy. The, the part that gets to Tony Todd is when Reed wonders if he continued this cycle of abuse with his own children.
1: I mean, and what's great acting here by Tony Todd is that as Reed is given the profile, you can physically see Mr. Miller shrinking. Like, he, he gets smaller. Tony Todd, like, gets himself smaller and smaller. Like, it's just a great piece of physical acting there. And when Reed actually humanizes him and says, "What my real concern, Eric, and, and like, Tony, like, Todd just, like, a tear forms in his. Like you're hum- You you think I'm a person, not like this thing that these cops who beat me all last night were like. Like it's a great job of uh, by both Reed and in terms of the the character and but Tony Todd's acting just just uh, oh
0: awesome oh so good. Agreed. At this point, Tony Todd is in tears. He found his kids killed. He knew he was going to get blamed for it, so he ran basically asks reed what else do i have you know and reed says "Your innocence so uh that was a nice little moment i thought reed is actually on his this guy's side he believes in him but he also has to say hey you know this is why you shouldn't have ran you're innocent
1: right. exactly exactly and then you yeah, know, the last thing before they leave the room to, you know tony todd as mr miller uh you know my boy was clutching a piece of paper a painting, please. I'd love to know what it was, Dr. Reed.
0: <laughs> a nice moment, and we figure hopefully this question will be answered by the end of our hour here.
1: I don't know. We didn't find out what the baby's name was, Hachi <laughs> Haley. And, you know, that that's a question that's been lingering for about seven weeks now. <laughs>
0: As they're walking out of the uh, interrogation, Ella's there. She says, well, that's some kind of interesting interrogation technique. And Reed explains it to her. He says, you know, Miller was closed off. He was defensive. He knew he was hostile. And Reed needed a way in. And he didn't think Miller killed his family and that Miller loved his wife. He knew that. And Hotch asks why he thought that. And Reed says, because even though they were divorced, Miller still wore his wedding ring.
1: Yeah, so. and uh, good on Reed for catching something that Hotch didn't, because you know Hotch is usually the one who's like uh, on his A game with all senses going. But I think Hotch may still have been reeling. Uh, about being called your daddy when he actually is a new daddy, and I think that might have just thrown him for a loop. Wait, I am a daddy! Oh crap, I'm a daddy! <laughs> he might have he might have like uh, wandered off there, or perhaps he was just you know completely uh, terrified of the fact that they needed two guys who weren't didn't seem to be in the room when the interview started, but suddenly were there holding him down the whole time. <laughs> right.
0: So after this, now we cut to Morgan and Gideon and some other uh, rando agents back at the uh, Crawford House. And uh, Gideon is noticing that the yard is overgrown and the roof and Chris Crawford's car both need maintenance. But somehow Allison Crawford, the uh, mother, her SUV was in pristine condition and she drives the kids to school or drove the kids to school, uh, a private school. And the car was just top notch. So the car and the house were meant to convey an image of wealth that perhaps was not exactly the true situation for the Crawford family
1: yeah but it was all a delusion.
0: <laughs> yes. The Crawford's actually lived beyond their means and uh, Morgan asks where all that extra cash came from and Gideon tells him to get uh, Garcia to check it out. And then he spots a child's drawing on the refrigerator done by Emily Crawford. It's a picture of the house, but there's there's no color in the picture. It's just sort of a black drawing. And it's strange yeah, I, for a kid's picture. It's
1: yeah, very strange. I mean, I'm
0: I'm still not sure why
1: Gideon notices this at all. I'm not sure why Gideon uh, keys on it, but you know, good on him. Like you know, at least at least there's an immediate thing. Yeah, you know, it's strange. It has no color. Like okay, well now I know. Like I, I, because otherwise, like who really cares? Is a yeah a, a kid's picture on a fridge in a family seems normal it's to me. A normal <laughs> thing you would find. Yes.
0: Yeah. Morgan is talking. He confirms that no dog collar was found. But he's thinking the dog had to have one because they have some kind of advanced doggy door that has a contraption in it that would only open the doggy door if a chip in a dog's collar activated it.
1: Technology, baby.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the house was locked down, and the only way you could get in is if you had the dog collar. But Morgan says it had to be a big guy, though, because Chris Crawford knew judo.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's actually, it's, it contradicts, it, it, I, I I don't think this was written well because what he's trying to say is he had to be small enough to fit through this doggy door because that's the only way out. We found the place locked into his arms, so he had to be small enough to fit through here. But if he was small, then the, the father wouldn't have been intimidated by him. So I did like I I didn't think it was explained very well there, but I you know after the fact I get what he said, especially when what happens next happens.
0: <laughs> right, which is Gideon was <laughs> sort of proving the point that. Yeah, if the guy had a gun to the back of your head, it really wouldn't matter how big you were.
1: And that's fine for him to say that, but why did he have to, like, while Morgan's down there, stick his own hand in a fake gun shape? (laughs) I've got a gun to your head. Oh, how you feeling now? You going to do judo to me now, Morgan? (laughs) It's like, whoa, slowly roll, Gideon, please. You could have just made the point. (laughs) I
0: think that was for us, AJ, more than it was.
1: I understand that, but I mean, you know, more, you know, you spent the whole scene telling Morgan you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and now he fake fake guns his head. I mean, if I'm Morgan, I'd just stand up and slap him. Yeah,
0: Gideon is is staring out the window, and he does say, "Bound or not, Allison Crawford would have put up one hell of a fight, and the kids would have been sobbing." And then Morgan starts to say something, but I immediately don't hear what he's saying because all of a sudden. Uh, Gideon starts screaming at the top of his lungs, help me, help me, please help me. And then they play over that the sounds of, I'm assuming it would be Mrs. Crawford screaming the same thing. Ah, help me. And I mean, AJ, it's so loud and jarring and, and disconcerting when he does this. It is, and and,
1: and it makes no sense. <laughs> it makes zero sense. Look, I'm, f- I'm fine with him testing out the auditory uh, carry of screams from inside the house. I get that he was doing that, but we hear the screams of the woman. And like two seconds later, he said, see, the neighbor's lights are on. Dogs are in the neighborhood. They would have heard her screaming, which means she didn't scream, which means he's hearing the screams in his head and they didn't exist. Yeah. It, what, what, yeah. What, we didn't that, need to hear her screams to get what he was doing there. But just, I, I didn't like it. Didn't
0: like it. Yeah. Um, but I guess the point was that the that the neighbors' lights did indeed come on and the dogs did indeed bark. So I do have a
1: question for you at the end of this scene before they cut to the next scene here. Yeah. D- did you happen to notice that Morgan and and uh, Gideon were not alone in the house? Well, I felt like there were some randos in there. There were some random cops in the background. You can kind of see them having a conversation. Yeah. But um, what what cops? Standing in the house after Gideon screams, help, help, help. Don't come running in. Don't show. They're not paying attention to this scene at all. They're just having a little rando conversation. It's like, he just screamed for no reason. You didn't even at least jump, pull pull your gun or something. Like,
0: what's going on? What's going on? And I mean... I was going to say, well, maybe they've worked with Gideon before, and maybe he's pulled this stunt. <laughs> maybe he's well-known for pulling this stunt, but in which case, Morgan shouldn't have been surprised. So. Yeah,
1: I, it just – it just they didn't need <laughs> to be there, and the fact that they were there and didn't react just made this whole thing even weirder. <laughs>
0: yeah. odd scene. It, it was it a new okay, way.
1: Yeah, okay written scene, but not perfectly executed scene.
0: So now we do cut back to the office, and uh, Gideon is looking at their crime board and going over the case – and while he's doing this, again, as he's describing everything, these scenes are played out sort of superimposed over the crime scene board. Gideon believes that the unsub had the family under control, probably separating each family member. And then he tells the mother, if you scream, I'll kill your children. Tells the children, if you cry, I'll kill mommy. Uh, I don't know what he's telling dad, but. Apparently, it would be something similar, I would assume.
1: Yeah, although he would probably have to we, – we saw that he at least subdued the dad before the mother because he was tied up when mom woke up in the morning and listened to the radio. So he didn't have to tell the dad anything if he had already tied him up.
0: Yeah, but that was basically this guy's way of restraining them without you know leaving any marks. Now, based on the lividity in the bodies, the medical examiner did estimate that the father was the last to die – which means he had to witness the whole thing, and the unsub knew he'd have to spend time with these families, and he knew he would have that time because they were thought to be traveling. So Gideon says, "Yes, well, we have to look at travel agents, relatives, contractors, colleagues, tutors, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Hotch phones in and tells Gideon they've been looking into the Crawford financials again. Garcia is on the line, and she says Alice and Crawford spent way more than they could afford. They were in major debt, and Chris Crawford also had uh, several checks made out for visits to a, a therapist, and uh, Allison apparently had two cell phone accounts, and one was billed to some other separate address uh, in the D.C. area.
1: Yeah, so we learned a lot very quickly here uh, in these in this uh, two locations one scene kind of thing here. I, I did find it interesting that you know more. Morgan says he knew he he knew he had time. Reed says he knew they were on vacation, and L doesn't get a line. She just nods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great, great job, guys. You couldn't throw over a line there? <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed this. Again, I like to look at the background of these scenes because I, I, I've heard the dialogue before, so i will just kind of – while Hotch is talking with Garcia and they're working on things, there is breaking news going on on the television behind them. There is this awesome car chase going on. <laughs> where the police oh, really? where the police didn't... car rams into a car and like I'm like can can we watch that cuz that's really exciting <laughs> what's going on there it's like breaking news like live car chase it was just interesting it doesn't and it didn't even look like it was happening you know that's the kind of thing that that happens in LA all the time where they show car uh-huh. chases i'm like did it just happen to be on at the time or did they actually pick that footage i, just, I don't know it was just interesting
0: <laughs> i completely i completely didn't pick up on that i'm going to have to go back but anyway, so they've got this other location in D.C., so the next thing we see is Hotch kicking in the door. He's very fond of kicking in doors, is Hotch. The whole team is fond of <laughs> kicking
1: in doors. I just, you know, I, 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 I never, especially in today's day and age, I don't, I don't remember it coming across. But, like, this no-knock-warrant thing that goes on, like, can we not be doing this? I mean, I know it's, yeah. it's we're, you know... Taylor hadn't happened yet, but I mean, you know, it just—it just—it just rubs me the wrong way that our heroes are doing
0: this. It, it, you know, present day, we're looking back. I think the uh, the reboot of Criminal Minds will perhaps have a little bit more of sensitivity uh, I, I, toward I can that. I only hope
1: so. Like times, need, they are me. changing. And, and we'll have more on this scene in a minute. So go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah, the team storms in. The place is a mess. I see a TV that has some old cartoon playing on it. They don't spot anyone right away. Um, Gideon then finds another child's painting on the wall, and it looks just like the Crawford's house. And it was signed by Emily, but this one is colorful and kind of a a joyful, regular, normal, more normal-looking picture. Reed says this is strange because Eric Miller found his son clutching a painting, and he, he wanted to know what was on it. L asks, well, what was on it? And Gideon says his son's blood.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't really think that's what it meant, but yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that
0: line just kind of threw me
1: for a second. Um, but it was nice that they gave L two lines in the scene, even though both lines were exactly the same. It was like, what's that? <laughs> yeah.
0: Just a question. Uh, what's the next plot point? Okay. What's the next plot yeah. point? Yeah. Thanks, L. All of a sudden, there is a noise, and, and Hotch and Morgan uh, burst into another room that it's emanating from, but it's just a big dog. Yeah, now, here's here's where I have a problem.
1: Because th- this is generally their good FBI unit, good team. And they come in, they're all they're, they're in formation, they got their guns, they enter one room, and what do they do? Clear. They go to the next room, what do they do? Clear. They go to the next room, what do they do? Clear. They have time... To start looking at a picture on the wall and have whole conversations, they have clearly not cleared the entire small <laughs> apartment. So there is no way that a locked door should have been left unchecked before they settle down and start doing. It. There's no way they should have been surprised by this. Because they did not clear that room.
0: Yeah. Bad. Uh, if there was if there was a guy sitting in there with a shotgun, they would have been really upset yeah like, yeah compared the, to
1: just a shotgun blast would have come and shot gideon right between the eyes
0: and i would have gone <laughs> what's that <laughs> <laughs> i mean the bu- dog was big and frightening enough oh, yeah, and yeah. and morgan wasn't having look morgan looked had a look like he wasn't about to play with this dog <laughs> uh, I, i'm really surprised that the,
1: that the dog really did just go right after reed because we heard about the reed effect <laughs> in the dog supposed to hate Reed, <laughs> but no no did that clearly no longer exists. <laughs>
0: Then a door to the apartment on the other side opens, and and someone calls the dog over, and the team uh, points all their weapons at the newcomer. It's a big, imposing-looking dude, uh, and hey, it's uh, Abraham Ben-Ruby. Yes, it is, the classic... from Parker Lewis <laughs> Can't Lose. That's That's how I know him, Kubiak. Uh, yeah, and, and,
1: uh, as, a, as a huge Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, uh, he also played the Olaf, the Viking, <laughs> giant yes, kind of guy. Yes,
0: indeed. <laughs> a lot of people will know him from ER. Uh, sure. He was on he's, ER he's, for, several, uh, for several years. He's
1: been around for many years. But yeah, he's, he's quite the imposing figure. Uh, and uh, clearly, uh, as imposing as he is, he... Clearly went down fairly quickly you know, they got him there wasn't an incident because the next shot of him is quickly he's sitting in an interrogation room and he looks fine so you know
0: and this is also another kind of a iffy area because he's obviously ha- has mental challenges uh, and it appears, so. it
1: appears something's off and if he did indeed live there alone why was the TV on cartoons I mean there, there's a lot of hints there yeah. so yeah but the, the, I will say Although mental illness is often linked with a lot of these, I uh, wouldn't say a lot, but frequently the unsub has some sort of mental issue that exacerbates the situation. I do also think the show does a decent job overall over the course of the series to emphasize that a not you know a doesn't always lead to b. It just so happens that a lot of b's happen to have a. So at least All they right. do usually point that
0: out. And it turns out. We are soon going to find out this is actually uh, Allison Crawford's brother. Uh, his name is Frank Fielding. He's uh, also manic depressive. Uh, so he has a lot of issues going on. Um, oh,
1: yeah, he-, he has a lot of issues. And I mean, I to- you know totally understand why they would have considered him to be potentially the unsub. I mean, he's, he's big enough to have done it. Uh, although they, there still would be that dichotomy of how did he fit through the door if he was that big, but they're still in their mind. They're thinking it's, it's a really big guy who's imposing. He has a dog, you know. He had the he had the, the the painting, and they didn't know he was related until he says he's related, and they looked at the, right. the look of shock on their is like what? <gasps> Sister, like you did no research on this guy before interrogating him, like you know Garcia couldn't have gone clickety clickety click. Oh, it's just, it's the
0: brother. <laughs> Yeah, very good point, although you do get uh, the sense that Alison Crawford very much was sort of hiding that fact sure, from sure. all the aspects but, of her know, life. I'm just
1: saying, it, it, it just normally, with the amount of information that this team can usually get on people ASAP, that it's very convenient that they don't know it until he reveals it, so that they can string us, the audience, along a little bit longer. Right. Frank Fielding is saying he did a very bad thing. Which is also why he could still be considered a suspect here. You don't need to yeah. like be so shoddy there. You know, I, I get it. If they had interviewed him at the house and and this reveal had come out... This should this should never come to, to another location. If they would just done it at the house, then I'd be like, "Well, you know why do you have this picture?" because she's my sister. Like that would have been, you know, you know she's my I'm I'm, I'm her uncle. I'm the I'm the kids' uncle. Like that would have made so much more sense and I would have bought the fact that they didn't look into it so quickly because it would've been on the spot. You know, there's time here that they had to find this stuff out.
0: It turns out the thing he thinks that was a bad thing that he did was that he went to the house and uh, Allison apparently had a rule that he was never supposed to go to the house because if Chris saw him, he would never let him see Allison again. And they might have him thrown in the loony bin, uh, to use his words.
1: Yeah, I mean, OK, yeah, I get it. You know, families, uh, family dynamics being what they are, you know, it, you don't have to agree with it. It just it, it is what it is.
0: Yeah. He went to the house when he was there. He looked through the window and he saw everybody sitting down at the dinner table. And he saw Emily and Sam, which are the children, and and Sam was crying. He saw Allison. It looked to him like she was saying grace, and then uh, she looked up and saw him and mouthed something at him. He assumed she was saying "get the hell out," so he left. Gideon then asked, "Well, did Chris see you?" And Frank says, "Well, no, Chris wasn't there, but his friend was." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and. Uh, his friend was sitting at the head of the table and Morgan's like, you said a friend? And he says, oh yeah, he didn't see the face, but the friend was very tiny and had red hair is his description. Very tiny red hair. This is kind of bad for Frank. He's realizing as he's saying this, oh, he must've seen the killer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, I felt sorry for no, him. No, it,
1: it, it's, it's very good. Very good. Uh, There's very good and very bad here back to back. So well Hotch is watching from outside the room and and he he actually has to state for us the not for you and me but for the the viewer who may not be paying attention or hasn't really pieced it together yet he has to like really spell it out and go oh she wasn't saying go away she was saying help me but I really wish the line would have been you know she wasn't saying get the hell out she was saying get help because that made more sense as to how it's... it was mis- misinterpreted but Hotch doesn't do it that way so that was just it's just weird writing there. Like, he could have mirrored what, what he had said to really hammer the point home. But yeah, uh, I mean, the acting here is He realizes that it wasn't a friend and that, oh my God, he was the killer and I could have done something and I didn't do it. And he just starts hitting himself in the head and like really having a reaction. Like, yeah. you know, when you get good actors <laughs> and give them some meaty emotional stuff. It comes across the way it's supposed to. I think that for casting is so important on that show that that's why that's why it's always cool to see in the opening credits like a couple of names that you recognize because like like oh this that means it's probably going to be like really emotionally good. Yeah. Good, and it, it works. I mean, uh, you, how, you can't not feel bad for oh poor poor little Frank yeah. or poor, poor big Frank. <laughs> poor <laughs> but, poor too big to fit through the dog. You, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> So let's uh, cut to a little bit later and uh, the team is, is going over the case as per use. Morgan is there. He points out again that both families had uh, dogs and doggy doors and L does get to chime in and say uh, the guy fielding says that the guy he saw was really small hint hint, like maybe doggy door size. Yeah, this guy Morgan says, yeah, well, to get through that door, you'd have to be five, four tops and super thin. And, of course, Gideon throws in a a quote here. (laughs) He doesn't quote it, but he says, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And uh, Morgan gets to identify the speaker of that quote by saying, yeah, but Sherlock Holmes was a fictional character, Gideon. Whoever did this isn't.
1: (laughs) And not only that, I will say, uh, and Sherlock Holmes with that quote that gets quoted all the time isn't correct. (laughs) It's not a proper evaluation. When you've eliminated the impossible, what you're left with, however unlikely, might be possible. It is not definitely possible. It just means that if that's all you got, you can lean on it, but you still got to prove it. (laughs) And that's the part that's missing.
0: Morgan is thinking we can be pretty sure that this guy's probably found himself another family to terrorize by now at this point. Yeah, I,
1: I will say, I, going back to Frank's scene for just one second, when he says small guy with red hair, I wish he had just said red hair, you know, like a fox. Just really nail it down. Thank you. one Just a little bit more because no one said it in the episode and it just it just would have worked for yeah. me a little better.
0: Yeah, it's just the quote. You're right. That, that would have been, and it, uh, and it would have made nice. sense
1: for frank to do it if you if you're for framing him as someone who's like a little more child-minded perhaps that using an, and he's got cartoons on you know
0: yeah it would have worked for me i i'm with you there anyway so we cut to another family and <laughs> yeah, uh, we, i think he's already found himself a
1: new family cut to new family <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes exactly a mom is putting a baby to sleep and she's joined by a little girl and her husband and it's it's endearingly. Over <laughs> yeah. a Yeah.
1: So much. At least she didn't say, oh, Mr. New Family. Oh, Mrs. New Family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, mommy. Oh, daddy. <laughs>
1: whoa, whoa, blah, blah.
0: <laughs> she shoes the, the, the daughter and father out of the room, and uh, they pass their bags, which are packed up for a trip the next day. I, I, kudos to the yeah.
1: show for making a, a, a shot, a random shot of packed baggage. Ominous. I'll give him credit for that. Because right. did you see that, you're like, oh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. And uh, But it's even sooner than you might think. Because uh, as soon as the mom uh, turns out the lights and leaves the room, we see the closet door opening. And a uh, dark figure that we can't really see but is that's wearing uh, white gloves comes out, picks up a pacifier, and puts it in the baby's mouth. Ah,
1: <sighs> yeah. No, nah, no, nah, no bueno, no bueno. I, you know, as much as I enjoy the show, and I, I do enjoy the show, and I also enjoy making fun of the show. It's just, it's just always whenever kids are involved, especially babies. It's yeah. just, it's just. Oh, it's no, no. I don't like. I don't like.
0: Yeah. So we'll move on. We'll cut to the next day at a BAU, and Gideon is again staring at the pictures from the case, which he does a lot. Elle says he's been looking at those pictures all morning. Morgan says, "Well, I hope he makes some kind of a connection because I ain't got nothing."
1: Yeah, he, he got uh, less than nothing as to what we're about to see next. Please go ahead because this is my one of yes. my I, this is one of my least favorite scenes in the history of the series. <laughs> I, just, I do not okay. like to see it. this scene makes no sense to me.
0: <laughs> That's strong. That's strong. Okay, here, let, let's let's do it then. Uh, else says uh, she wonders why those particular families were targeted, and Hotch says, "Well, to know that we have to know how." And Morgan says, we know that organized killers are often skilled workers with above average intelligence, uh, high birth status, and in most cases, male. In the workplace, he's socially confident, and with women, sexually confident.
1: Again, I I don't have any problem with the the, the dialogue going on here, but what you failed to, to point out to our fine listeners is that they did this red tinted dissolve to a new scene in a workplace somewhere which it could basically – it looked like the VAU office, but the, the red tint. And Morgan's walking through the scenario as we see someone who kind of appears, especially with the red tint, to be a red-haired slight of figure. So, like, this is who Morgan is picturing as being the unsub. But it looks like this really bad HR video of, like, how not to sexually harass at work. It's going on here that Morgan's walking through. It, I, what?! What is this? Who is yeah. No, this guy, we, we find out this guy doesn't look anything like the unsub. It's not a character we've ever met. It's just someone from Morgan's imagination. He's imagining sexual harassment in the workplace to explain this thing. Yeah. Just, it just it makes no sense.
0: I agree. I, I was like, who is this shady guy? I that, And why? <laughs> why is, is actually what I thought to myself. Yeah,
1: I, you know, I'm like, all right. So, you know, like I said, the dialogue's fine, you know, you know. You know he's very planned and organized. He he writes diaries and he puts the dates of the t- the time that he they have breakfast and the time they have lunch and the time they have dinner and put the kids to bed. Plan the work, work the plan. Oh, that's all you need is the catchphrase there. Plan the work, work the plan. Okay, I'm cool with it. Uh, then he then suddenly you know, we're still for some reason we're still watching this this not unsub, and he's he he, he goes to leave his desk and he, he the pen falls off. He's like, oh I gotta go back and put the pen right on because I got OCD like. Ugh.
0: <laughs> My note, AJ, was all this action is going on around Morgan as he speaks. <laughs> so I guess I didn't I didn't think enough of it to even detail well, you, it, so. I, I,
1: you know, the offensive thing in your note is that you used the word action.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Anyway, because of all this, Morgan thinks that the workplace might be a connection I, that they have
1: you to. Know, and I, I guess. I'm going to try and see the silver lining in all this. There is no police department working this case, it seems. It's because they've already closed it, essentially, as a murder-suicide, we hear. So it's really—this is the BAU working the case on their own investigation. So they don't have to deliver a profile to anybody. So they're kind of delivering it to themselves— but because it's not supposed to be a presentation, I wish it was done a lot more informally. And this just seemed to be like a scene written to, so we can do our presentation video tricks as opposed to right. just, all right, let's just talk this out amongst ourselves, which would have been far more natural. Right.
0: Uh, next, Gideon comes in and he's got uh, the two paintings that they know Emily did. And the first one is one that frank fielding had which was full of color and life and then the second one is the plain black and white with just lines no dimensions no color and um, gideon believes that uh, emily must have been coerced into making the second painting it's a point of view it's the killer's point of view this is probably where the killer stood and just watched the family hotch spins a ring on the desk which uh, gets everybody's attention and since,
1: and since it falls down we know that he is he's not he's in his dream world and this his totem is this an inception thing no i don't <laughs> I,
0: he couldn't have just said hey everybody he had to like <laughs> do the do the little action yeah. there.
1: although although from a, as someone who has at one point in his life been a new father um up until that point, he probably never took the ring off all that often. And now, with when, when you're dealing with diaper changes and all that sort of stuff, that 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 ring is off because you are washing your hands constantly. You don't want to fall in sick. Like, it it yeah, you're taking that on and off. So it just he might be doing that just force a habit at this point. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give a pass there, <laughs> understanding what it's like to have a newborn. <laughs>
0: okay, fair enough. He says that each of the dead husbands was missing his wedding ring. This must be the Unsub's trophy. He targets a family, then because he lost his own, and for a few days he gets to play daddy, he can do whatever he wants because no one's going to come looking because they're supposed to be on vacation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So Gideon says, let's uh, get forensics to check out inside of uh, Chris Crawford's clothing. Uh, Maybe the suspect wore his clothes to sort of complete the fantasy.
1: (laughs) And he gets looks for that
0: comment. (laughs) Yeah, and... Elle says, uh, one of her lines on, in the episode, which is, well, why kill them? And uh, Gideon says, well, because the fantasy can't last. And then says, so Elle says, which I thought maybe was a nice line for her. This episode, so do we know anything that helps us identify this guy? Well, she says the bastard because it's Elle. Yeah. But, and by uh, we,
1: I mean all you men. <laughs>
0: right. Morgan then has a thought at that moment. He says, uh, Hey, Chris Crawford worked for the IRS, and uh, Reese Miller was a secretary at the GAO. They were both government employees. <laughs> Maybe this should have came out earlier, AJ. Again,
1: and I'm fine if he just notices this because you're not looking for particular connections, you know, something hits you at the right moment. But again, if it had been much more of an informal conversation and he's looking through the papers the whole time, you know, maybe I'll buy it. But yeah, it's just it's just awkward. It's just, hey, we how much time left in the episode?
0: Hey, I found a clue. <laughs> and didn't you just... Get done telling us maybe the workplace connection was somewhere. <laughs> yeah, why didn't you get yeah. from A to B yourself? <laughs> uh, we next cut to Gideon and Morgan, who are exiting an elevator with some dude that has a government badge on and who apparently worked with Chris Crawford. And he, the guy's saying, yeah, Chris had his share of problems at home, but, but he knows he didn't kill his family. Gideon asks if he knew that Crawford was in therapy. And uh, the dude says... Uh, He knows he was in marriage counseling, but he didn't know the details. He doesn't like to pry. And Morgan says, well, that's surprising coming from an IRS agent. (laughs) They ask if they can go through Chris's belongings. They go through a box and Gideon pulls out another child's drawing and he has a thought. He says, uh, family therapists. They often use children's paintings to assess the family unit.
1: And here is where the discovery of this picture makes sense, is that we already have pictures. He's already focused on the picture. So the fact that he sees the picture now, that could just be, you know, one of those things that when you're looking for something, you're going to find it everywhere. It's just like, you know, if you're shopping for a new car, suddenly all you see are car commercials on TV. It's like, they're probably playing with the same rate. You're just paying more attention to them. It's kind of like, all I see is children's pictures anywhere. But at least I get the fact that uh, it would stand out to him at this point. I do like also the fact that the IRS guy really isn't really interested in in anything at this point, yeah, you gotta check his office. I don't care, yeah, whatever. Go. Right. Yeah. Can I get back to work? Go. All right, I'll stay here. Whatever. Can yeah. I go? Am I here? <laughs> and that is such a contrast to the employee we're about to meet, which is why I really like the juxtaposition.
0: <laughs> this uh, good segue. There, we got cut to Hotch and Elle, who are questioning Reese Miller's boss. Who uh, she's not really being helpful. Agent, <laughs> uh, I believe her name is Mrs. Uh, Raleigh. Or Raleigh, Raleigh, Raleigh.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what a, and, what a uh, yappy, blathering, mournful co-worker this
0: is. <laughs> <laughs> she is going on and on about how terrible the whole incident was, that she should have known, that that uh, Reese was always tired, but then any woman married to El- Eric Miller would be. Uh, he's horrible, uh, domestic, like, she's spilling all the tea. She's She is chatty do we use the is Chatty Kathy okay to say we don't say that anymore? It's She's fine chatty about
1: me. I mean I don't mind. It's it's a welcome change from uh, conniving Karen <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so hotch at this point. While she was talking, has had time to make a phone call while she's still talking. Well, he got, he got and, the uh, phone call.
1: And he could normally normally, normally he, he phone, would probably yes. wait and look see who it is. He didn't even look. He just uh, this woman's talking. I'm getting out of here. Elle can handle this lady. I'm going to take the phone call.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, them letting letting him know about the counselor, the right. therapist. So now knows, uh, yeah, now he's got a targeted
1: question to ask instead of just letting her go through the last 15 years of her four years relationship with her. <laughs>
0: Right. So Hacha asks if Reese was seeing any kind of marriage counselor. And finally, uh, that that gets Mrs. Raleigh to hesitate for a half second. And uh, Elle is kind enough to say, don't worry, you're not betraying anyone's confidence. You know, we need to know everything about her life. Then Mrs. Raleigh says, yeah, well, she was seeing a therapist every week. Well, she was seeing a therapist every Thursday. And I had to come for her
1: for two to three because she didn't want anyone to know about it. Oh. Yeah. They're already out the door, and she's still talking.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Raleigh. I I uh, I know a few Mrs. Raleigh's <laughs> in my life. I'll just yeah, that. yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> so now we cut to a close up of Garcia. They love the Garcia close up. They do.
1: They do. By the they way, like, they like to like really focus in on on the uh, that kind, kind of like in the Warriors, with like the microphone and the radio hello all you people out there gangbangers it's like they, they love that type of shot for garcia and yeah. pull out
0: <laughs> yeah you remember a show called midnight caller of Collar? course i remember gary cole mm-hmm. gary cole yeah that's what that sure, just sure, made sure. me think of I'm, I'm, all right i'm old <laughs> uh, so garcia is saying uh, to Reed, she's talking to Reed, and she's like we've got to stop meeting like this Reed. people will talk but then uh Talk is cheap. And uh, Reed points out, not when you're talking to a therapist. uh, Apparently, the uh, Crawfords made 12 weekly payments to the Applewood Family Medical Center. What about the Millers? Garcia says no. No. And Reed is thinking it out. And he's saying, well, how about pharmaceuticals? Nobody gets therapy these days without getting a healthy dose of medication. And uh, Garcia asks Reed what he's implying, and he says that everyone is medicated. And she's all, oh, did you just make a joke? And Reed is like, well, no, statistics show that. And Garcia's like, just say, next time, just say <laughs> yes. yes.
1: Uh, Reed, social cue, game, not very high. I mean, at least he's learned to, to pretty shorten the, uh, when someone says, what, are you some kind of genius? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> he's learned that over the last <laughs> couple episodes, but... Yeah, he's, he's still got work yeah. to do. Although the he had just told a joke before with with the therapist charging a lot of money and she didn't notice that as a joke.
0: <laughs> but I like that, uh, you know, Garcia does her thing, but, you know, not everybody's going to respond uh, like Morgan. Yes,
1: their relationship is special and that it that, that shows that Garcia and any other character, you're going you're gonna to have a little uh, grinding of the gears a little bit. <laughs>
0: right. This is actually a good idea that Reed had, so Garcia is able to um, go into the HMO because uh, it's got their government workers, so they all have the all have the same HMO. Uh, Reed asks if she's hacking into the government's HMO database and is that legal? And Garcia's like, uh, "Of course not. We'll go to prison, and you'll be someone's bitch." <laughs> and Reed is like, "Really? <laughs> like that, that thought?" <laughs> I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah, I, it's, it's, <laughs> Just with yeah, wonder, I, again, Garcia.
1: The, the humor is not going to work on Reed. It really, isn't
0: <laughs> does it? Doesn't. <laughs> but she uh, does find a, a link. She says, "Good call, Reed." Mrs. Miller actually was taking a diazepam, and it was prescribed by a doctor R. Howard from the Applewood Family Medical Center. Uh, let's see what he looks like. Pulls up the picture, and he is a she. Dr. Rachel Howard. Uh, they flash her picture. Lo and behold, AJ, she has red hair. And
1: very slight of stature there. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, I was expecting to see a picture of uh, director Ron Howard, also red hair, slight of stature, but his name wasn't in the credits, so I guess it wasn't going to be him.
0: <laughs> Too bad. We uh, cut back to the child from the last family we saw a little bit earlier. The new family. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the new family. (laughs) And uh, unfortunately, the girl is is having her hands freed from, it looks like a belt that was around them. And then she has paint and a sketchbook in front of her. And it looks like she's being made to paint a house. And we see that gloved figure from before petting her hair as she
1: paints. (laughs) Although having just seen the picture of... Female Doctor Howard, it, it did read a little more maternal to me. In that sense, yeah. it they it, it kind of incepted that into me really quickly. There, I I, it, I didn't get the creepiness as much from anything other than this is not your kid. Rather than oh, there's something sexual that might be going on here, creepy. So it was a different type of creepy, still creepy, but uh, I, I do th- yeah. I do think it did seem a little bit more maternal there. So it was a nice nice job by the show to kind of again once again. You know they're going to Scooby Doo most of these episodes. Like it could only be yeah. it could only be this guy. Oh, it's not this guy. Well, we got to introduce a new character. It's going to be this guy. No, it's got not this guy. Well, I we got to introduce a new character. It's it, oh, it's this lady.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we cut to we see another child's painting. This one is quite colorful, and and there is Doctor Howard praising the work of whoever this young artist is, and uh, Hotch, Morgan, and Gideon come into the room en masse. On uh, me, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, Doctor Howard sends the girl uh, out of her office, out of her office with her mother, and she asks uh, Gideon if she can help them.
1: I thought this, was Gideon, really, uh, this was really, this uh, was really a nice uh, acting bit of acting. Uh, this this woman really encapsulated the character very quickly because she's so sing song. Oh, why don't you leave with your mother, and we'll see you in just a few minutes. What can I help you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, no. I, I ain't no sing-songy do- doctor. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in control here. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah. She did do a good job with that. Gideon introduces himself. Says he's with behavioral analysis, and Doctor Howard says, "Well, we both deal with the dysfunctional. However, in my line, the end results aren't quite as unpleasant as yours, which all Gideon can probably say. He's probably saying touche. He didn't actually say it, but yeah, exactly. Gideon uh, does say." <laughs> Unless you happen to be the Crawford family. <laughs> Which, ouch, good point. Uh, Damn, yo. And Hotch, I mean, he tries to throw in, but we know Hotch isn't funny, so it sort of falls flat. He says, or the Millers, and uh, you knew them both. <laughs> Dr. Howard starts to explain, but then uh, Morgan interrupts her with, ma'am, maybe you should just take a seat. And she's like, Why? So cut to a bit later and Morgan is saying they'll have to confirm her alibi. And Dr. Howard is like, dig all you want. I have four teenagers. Ain't nobody got time to be killing no families on the side. Yes, she has met both families, but only one time each. Uh, She did prescribe them the meds because she's the only MD on staff. Yet Gideon asks her, well, who did she hand the cases over to? Uh, She goes to check her files, which aren't computerized and they make a point to point that out but for the crawfords someone named carl arnold was the person assigned to deal with that case and they want to talk to him but he's off shift he works for 10 hour days um, and he's off right now um, which
1: should have been a huge red flag I, quite frankly immediately because it's it's a nice subtle way of saying it saying he has three days off in a row Ding, ding, ding. We're looking for someone who has three days, you know, who's going to be with the family for three days uninterrupted. So hello. <laughs> it's its a clue that is not delivered as a clue.
0: Now, there is something about the timing I kind of wanted to note here because she gives him the home address. And at this point, Morgan says he'll get a team out to the house. Mm-hmm. All right. Fine. At this point, then uh, they try calling him, but. The guy's cell phone is going straight to the voicemail. So Gideon says, well, let's see his office. They walk over to his office. The door is locked. And Howard says she'll get security. She's fine to go get security. But Morgan's like, we don't have no time for that. And kicks the door in.
1: Yeah, the uh, never met a door. They didn't want to knock down. And Man, one kick, man.
0: Yeah, he does it. And H- Dr. Howard is like, hey, someone's going to have to pay for that. I agree with her. Like, she was going to get Like, I mean, I know it's urgent and I understand. But, you know, what, not, three it, minutes, AJ, three yeah. minutes maybe? It's
1: urgent, but it's not. It's not urgent, urgent, urgent.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So Hotch says, well, car Arnold will pay for it. And I'm thinking, gee, that it, that must be convenient. That's that <laughs> just a
1: bad line it's just a yeah. bad, bad line
0: so they turn on the office the lights in his office and immediately see that carl's wall is covered in children's paintings of their family in their house and uh, gideon asks where where he is now howard dr howard doesn't know suggests that maybe he's gone to see his family wait what he's married he's got two children sarah and Carl Jr., shout out Carl Jr. Uh, they, they make good burgers, but that's one thing I miss from not living on the West Coast anymore. Anyway, uh
1: well, Gideon asks you're a big boy.
0: Yeah, I thank you. Gideon uh, does ask how long ago did uh, Carl's marriage collapse? And Howard says about five years ago, his wife took the kids and moved to Idaho. And Morgan gets a call at this point. They just raided Carl's home and he's not there. That was my timing thing. That was Really quick, it, it was really quick. But did they it, cut and I missed it because he was like, "We're gonna get somebody out to the house." In I mean, less it's, than it's local. Three minutes. <laughs> it,
1: it, it's local. It's their. It's their. It's their home. To, you know, their hometown. So he's got. He's got people he can call and look. You know, it's Morgan. You know, he probably called some some uh, police officer who is kind of uh, on the Morgan train and is like, hey, baby, you know, <laughs> you might get a team out there as soon as possible meet up top of the list. Oh, anything for you, Derek. Bye. Can we have <laughs> drinks later? Like, you, know, you know how Morgan's been <laughs> Morganing on this show so
0: far. I was just... It was pretty fast. But, uh, at, you're least probably he, right. at least he
1: mentioned. Oh, I agree with you. It did seem. It did seem quick. But at least we saw him make a phone call and he stated it. So it wasn't like we had to pretend that, like, oh, how did they get this information? We saw. We saw the information delivered. I mean, I'm a little bit more uh, confused by the fact that the doctor still does, doesn't really have seemed to put two and two together yet. <laughs> yeah.
0: She's like, <laughs> what's going on? Now it's time to cut to yet another family home. I was like, wait a minute.
1: <laughs> What's it's going on here? Family. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. And uh, we see a mom unfolding some laundry on a kitchen table and um, some rowdy kids run through the room. And the mom says, that's enough. Sarah, Carl Jr., go do your homework. Oh, OK. This is Carl's family. The, her phone rings. She answers it. And it's Hotch. And he wants to know where her ex-husband is. And she says, I have no idea. I haven't seen him in two years. He's a really scary guy. But he did happen to call me just an hour ago. You might want to lead with that. Yeah. And uh, he was just babbling, apparently, about how precious family is and how he wanted to talk the kids to kids, to the kids. And But he did seem angry and controlling and manic. And again, Hotch asks if she has any idea where he might be. She says No. But she did hear some kids in the background where he was, uh, and then someone started to cry, and then he hung up.
1: Again, I, I don't have a problem with the scene. It just it could have been it could have been a little tighter. I mean, you, you know, at the top at the top of the scene when she has, you know, she answers the phone. She's like, "Who is this? Hang on a second. I can't hear you." Kids, be quiet. I know what were you saying. Yes, this is Agent Hoshner. The- <laughs> it was almost right. as if he had just started the call. Like it, did, it didn't didn't really jive on the both sides of the of the of recording there.
0: Anyway, so now we uh, cut to Gideon, who says, "Well, he must already be in another family's house," which makes sense. Doctor Howard is there, and she's wondering how she couldn't have seen this. And and Morgan says, "Cause he's that good. If he wasn't, we would have caught him sooner." <laughs>
1: okay
0: Morgan Gideon asks if if he has a journal and Howard says yeah he is the type to write everything down and and he has a journal and he takes it everywhere with him Uh, Gideon says it's likely he collects trophies if they're not in his house there must be somewhere right around there and Dr. Howard uh Asks for the entire CBS demographic what trophies are.
1: Even though we've already heard that explanation this episode, we've heard the term trophies, and it could have been done up top, but we're going to do it here in a way that's really, really awkward. And at this point, we should, we should, we should know what trophies are. We, should know what triggers are. We should know what stressors are. Like there's there certain things that they've they, they, covered these. All
0: right, fine. Uh, well, again, I guess it might be somebody's first episode, but. I still feel like after season uh, one, they
1: get no free passes. okay, unless they're ahead. bringing up something completely new in which case, if they're bringing something up completely new, usually that means is, hey, this is new research that just came out. Read, explain it, you know
0: <laughs> Right? Which would make sense. That makes sense. Anyway, as they go through Carl's various cases, Dr. Howard hears the name that the Duncans, and she says, wait, that's not one of his cases. That's mine. They have a baby boy and a slightly introverted 8-year-old girl named Jackie. And Gideon says, Jackie. And he, he goes through and picks up a picture of a house and asks Dr. Howard, is this Jackie's work? And uh, Dr. Howard at this point is a little bit hysterical. She says, he, he took it from her office. Morgan asks if they were planning a trip. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Howard said, yes, to the Adirondacks.
1: I mean, yes, was yes, It would have been sufficient. I mean... She might not have known exactly where they were going, or, or she could have said yes to show off the new baby to their pair. You know, there are ways to get around it as opposed to be that specific. But okay, fine. <laughs>
0: yeah, Gideon says let's go, and uh, Hotch says uh, call you guys some. I'll call you guys uh, some backup.
1: I'm gonna stay here and search for some trophies.
0: Right, I gotta find those trophies. That's, That's been my mission. My new white whale. Yep. <laughs> we cut to outside of the duncan's house and uh gideon is outside with some swat
1: hey, you know what backup game is is on point today like they, like they went to the house or raided it right away uh, i'll call you some backup we're waiting for you sir Whatever you need <laughs> yeah uh
0: they they they're looking at a like an infrared view of what's going on inside the house and it looks like people are seated, seated around a, a dinner table three adults two children so then the Team starts to approach the house. Sadly, they pass a dead dog on the way, Mm, which mm, I was like, "Oh man, like they couldn't have got there a little bit earlier." uh, Spoiler uh, alert:
1: I'm not going to count that in the body count. But (laughs) okay,
0: they they burst into the house and scream FBI. And thankfully, this is the right house. Um, Mrs. Duncan says, "Oh, he's got my baby. Is he alone?" She says, "Yes." Get in. Figures out he must be in the basement. Where's the basement? Mrs. Duncan points out and says, there, it's under the stairs over there. Then all of a sudden, uh, the lights go out. Gideon tells the SWAT team to get the rest of the family out of there. Reed and Morgan, they find the basement and they start going down the stairs. They're like, Carl, Carl, it's the FBI. And Carl is down there and he's crouched over and uh, they say, Carl, give us the baby. Carl looks at him and slowly walks toward them. But uh, suddenly he just throws the baby. Uh, Gideon does manage to catch it. Morgan shouts out "knife," and then the fisticuffs commence between Morgan and Carl. Of course, Morgan subdues him, and Gideon calms the baby down.
1: Yeah, it. Uh, you know, first of all, screaming baby. Oh, I hate the screaming babies. I really do. And that baby is screaming bloody murder, uh, as as babies are welcome to do. It's just, it's just always it's very stressful to hear that. They, you know, right before they find the door to go down. To the basement and admittedly it was in an unusual place but she did say it was under the stairs and you have two swat guys going up the stairs <laughs> I was like really yeah. guys she said under the stairs um so there was that and look you know this is a dangerous game and morgan does not get off scot-free because you know you see carl's first swipe of that knife gets him in the arm And then Morgan subdues him and, you know, kudos to Morgan who is usually the one who ends up, at least so far, Morgan's been the one who's been the the muscle to catch them. If they're going to catch him, Morgan's the one who's going to catch him and tackle him or throw him against the wall or something. And he shows a lot of restraint for not just choking him (laughs) completely to death here after being stabbed. He just like chokes him and says, you know, give up. Stop it!
0: <laughs> After this, we cut to the FBI office or wherever the with whatever kind of jail they're taking uh, uh, Carl to, and he's he's walking through. It's very interesting. He's going, "Hey, how you doing?" to everybody as they sort of he sort of passes them. Yeah,
1: everyone's and, looking know. at him like like he's the pariah that he is. They know who he is. They know what he's done. They're like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, good to see you. Hey, all right. Yeah, yeah <laughs> how are how you? Are how are, are you? you? That's yeah. me,
0: Carl Arnold. Carl Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> JJ asks. Uh, JJ shows up. She's asking Gideon if he's uh, if Arnold has said anything, and Gideon says no. She wants to know if we can tie him forensically to the other crimes. No, there's no foreign DNA. He must have washed Crawford's clothes. Gideon says, "I guess now we need a confession." JJ says, "Can you get one?" And Gideon says, "Did you do what I asked?" And she says, "Yes." So he says, "Then maybe."
1: Yeah, ooh, a little mystery as we head into the final uh, few minutes of this episode.
0: (laughs) We cut to the interrogation. Gideon is recounting Carl's methods, uh, how he must have staked out the house, how he meticulously took notes of what he was doing, etc., etc. Carl asks for a glass of water and then asks if he can get his restraints off. Which Morgan says no, <laughs> immediately. But
1: Morgan, Morgan, who at this point has, has a nice little bandage on, he's, he's been medically yeah. taken care of. But at least they showed the bandage to show that he did indeed get, get stabbed. So no continuity errors there. Good
0: job. <laughs> Gideon is still going on. He's saying, uh, you stalked these people, you bound them, you terrorized them, then you killed them one by one. We have your journals, Carl. And he's showing Carl pictures as he's going through the case. And... Carl starts to seem a little perturbed Perturbed after Gideon shows him pictures of his own family and how they were distanced from him in the picture, sort of showing him that they feared him. And Carl, all of a sudden, is just shouting, it's not right. It's not right. And I'm going, huh? And uh, Gideon is also like, what? And uh, Carl screams at him that it, he he has the pictures mixed up. He's looking at the board behind Gideon of the case laid out. He's really not paying attention to Gideon. He's looking at the board behind him, and he starts screaming about the pictures being mixed up. The one on the right is Sam Crawford, and the one on the left is Ty Miller. You need to swap them. You need to fix this, Gideon. (laughs) Gideon points and says, wait, this one right here? And Carl is like nodding in satisfaction. Yes. And Gideon says, you're right, Carl. They're switched. That is Sam Crawford's foot with the Miller family. But how did you know that, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> Carl looks around at this point like,
1: dirt. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, like I, I know, I knew, of course, having watched this several times, I knew where this was going. It's fun to watch. Carl is actually eyeballing those pictures the entire scene. Of course, you don't really realize that if you don't know where it's going. And he's his eyes are going like, "No, that should be there, and that should be there, and that should be there, and that should be there." Can I get some water, please? That should be there, and that should be there. Like, can I get these shackles off? I'm gonna t- I'm gonna fix it myself. Like, the whole scene is like building up to this point where he's just his OCD is gonna like really do him in there. And I do I, as much as sometimes Gideon's bluntness is is over the top and everything here, I I do love the fact that. Uh, he, he just is so subtle about it here. Like he, even Gideon knew this was delightful and he got him. He's like, he basically, oh, my bad. <laughs> yeah. Did I get these pictures? Oh, good work, JJ. Because <laughs> that's clearly the thing that he had to do, knowing that it would get under his skin. Yeah.
0: Right. Uh, so now we cut to Carl. And at this point, he's just admitting everything talking about the crime, how he watched them for a number of days, how it was always at night, and then he saw how they lived, how they loved. He would keep them apart until the last night, until what he called the Last Supper. He uh, says he would bring them one by one down to the basement, the youngest first and the father last. And uh, Morgan is there. He asks him why. And he says, and he's breaking down as he says that, so he could see what happens to the families when the head of household isn't strong.
1: Yeah, and it, it's it's done really well because it's it's we're seeing this on the videotape, like a videotape confession. We're seeing this in, in videotape format, and there's this eerie music, sort of like a uh, baby's mobile winding down. It's just kind of like ding, 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 ding. ding. Underneath, it's just really creepy, and uh, just the coldness of his confession is fantastic, and it just closes with like, I'm an excellent. <laughs> it's just, they nailed, they nailed this. A lot of, a lot of the scenes I gave him a lot of grief for. This scene they
0: nailed. Yeah, he was, he was Arnold. Uh, I keep wanting to say Kevin Arnold <laughs> instead of Carl Arnold, but they're No, because if that, then it would have all been in voiceover from
1: Daniel Stern. It would have been a completely different episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was at that moment I realized my plan had been foiled. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, apparently, this whole time Hotch has been searching for those but, but trophies yeah, like, uh, that we mentioned. He's been searching this
1: for this whole time, but he's only now getting around to taking the toys off the shelf,
0: <laughs> which would have been yes. the first
1: place you looked.
0: Well, wasn't that was it a secret panel? I thought it was maybe a secret well, panel that secret he found. Panel, and,
1: but you're not going to find the secret panel until yeah. you take the toys off. The, like there's, there's obviously. Toys right. on display as if they were trophies. You would, you would look there first and see, oh, is there, is there something in the toys or anything? Uh, yeah. Knock yeah, on something. it. something. But it, it, he probably did it immediately and they just time shifted it for this reveal here. And yet – but yet, yeah, he finds the box behind the hidden panel and we cut to the BAU looking at the box together. It, that also doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
0: It's like – he didn't think I'm going to open this and look at what's in there right away. I'm going to like reveal it to, me. yeah, it it's was kind of a weird
1: because it's for us, the viewer and it doesn't work in real right. reality yet.
0: And just to make it clear, Hodge finds a lunchbox. He takes it back to the BAU. Uh, he also finds several journals, by the way, uh, which indicate that there were more families than just the unfortunate ones that we saw. He brings it back to the office and uh, then they all watch as Gideon dumps out the contents of the lunchbox onto the table and we see eight wedding rings.
1: And, and that would imply that that's how many families he's taken care of. Right. So, uh, ouch. Oh, even Ariana Grande can't yeah, be the... happy with that number of rings. <laughs> <laughs>
0: God. And, uh, that's the episode, AJ. Yeah, yeah. I think all in all, uh...
1: All in all, I think a very good effort. I think there were some things about it I didn't like, but this was a case where the BAU pretty much did the detective work on their own. They worked on the profile, but because they didn't have to finalize and present it to someone, they were able to modify it as it went, and I think they did a pretty good job of showing how this team works together, except for L, who apparently has nothing to do, but, you know, uh, all in all, not bad.
0: Not bad. Yeah. Um, and I just want to point out for anybody that's listening, I know we tend to get – sometimes we get a little bit critical of decisions that they make. Um, but it, it really is love. I mean obviously this is your however many time we're watching the show. And I, I feel like I've become a quick fan. So we, we, we're we pointing these things out. No but, television uh, show is perfect. I'm really enjoying yeah, the ride.
1: It's, it's yeah. part, part of the charm of the show is is its imperfections quite honestly it's, it's these things are just like really and I think I think you know show doesn't last 15 years without being somewhat aware of itself and self-aware and there are definitely moments where they poke fun at themselves and it's intentional and there's there's a conversation going on between the writers and and the, and the actors in the audience like we know we know we're doing this again <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so I'm still I'm still along for the ride and <laughs> and, and, and enjoying it. <laughs> so this is the last so.
1: episode of Thelonious Pundits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just wanted yeah, to let yeah, the cool, people cool, cool. know. So uh, let's ask ourselves the question we ask at the end of every ep- episode, AJ, um, and let's explain it again a little, just a little bit, for if, in case this is somebody's first time joining us here at Thelonious Pundits. Uh, we do ask this question at the end of each episode. Did they win? What do we mean yeah, by that? part
1: of the show? We call the B-A-U-ometer. <laughs> the Bowometer. Uh, it'll never, never feel natural, and yet there's no other name for it. Uh, <laughs> it's the perfect name, and I, th- I think it's perfect in its imperfection. And that's you know, l- let the writers of the show make fun of us <laughs> for this one. That's fine. Uh, yeah, it's just a way of figuring out that, <laughs> you know, how effective were was the B A U in solving the case? How effective were they in saving? Uh, people who were in peril, how, how many unsubs did they catch? Did they win? Did they solve the case? Did they save lives? Or did they do more harm than good? Did they uh, fail miserably? Were they assigned to the case, and because they were there and went down the wrong rabbit hole, 15 more people died than perhaps would have if a more efficient team had, had been there? I mean, obviously there are heroes. They're, they're going to win more often than they lose, but they're not going to be perfect and I I was just curious to see exactly what what their win loss record would be uh by the time all 323 episodes
0: are done. Oh boy. And uh
1: let's start let's start out uh, what's their current uh, record. Heading into this episode which is episode 7, uh we have their record at four wins, one loss and one tie, one no decision. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: Uh you'll have to listen to that episode to get the uh the why on the tie but uh what happens this week well like I said, seven. they
1: didn't need any help from any outside agency they were doing this all on their own in fact the other agency had shut the case down and thanks to jj's uh awareness she was able to identify this case in the first place i mean when they got the case there was one new family to save all of them were safe i mean get even hands-on safe by catching the baby good good on them there they caught the unsub it's this is a clear win this is no no brainer win i mean like i said okay the dog unfortunately but you know in the grand scheme of things even if even if i threw the dog into the body count it's still an overwhelming victory here
0: yeah i agree uh i did feel like oh it's too bad they sort of caught the tail end of this rather than the first you know six families that we didn't see I mean, obviously, that's not going to go into their winning, but it's just uh, too bad. That's that's a little sad reminder on that. And you have the feeling that uh, poor Tony Todd is not going to have it great after this whole experience. But but they want but they I agree. It's a win nonetheless. And AJ, another thing we do here on Felonious Pundits is we have a quiz the end of each episode uh, people may not be aware and if they are not but you host a wonderful uh podcast called beat my guest which is a trivia game show type of podcast and i recommend everybody out there give that a listen um but also uh you give us a little bit of that flavor at the end of uh, each episode here
1: yeah, a little bit of taste some questions uh, based on obliquely based on the episode that we've just seen sometimes about the actors involved sometimes about the plot Uh, And our third question generally will be a a little preview as you try and guess the plot of the next episode uh, based solely on the title. We'll get to all that uh, in a moment. First, I wanted to uh, also note we do predictions here as well. We have predictions from time to time, not every week, but sometimes we will try and... Uh, because I've seen it, I know what happens. Kintah does not, so I like to when I, when I when I'm inspired to ask him to predict what might happen over the course of the series, sight unseen. Uh, we have a prediction we mentioned earlier that we thought we would get the results of uh, today, and we did not. And that is, of course, what are the Hochners going to name their son? And you currently have listed as your guest Richard. I think we're definitely in the danger zone of potentially finding out at some point very soon, uh, now that the baby has been born. And I honestly, I thought this was the episode. I had forgotten it wasn't. Uh, do you want to keep that locked in? Do you want to change it? This is be your last chance to change it. Uh, going forward, if you do.
0: AJ, I... Um- Only because I don't feel like I received any other clues. I mean, this was a total crapshoot anyway, but uh, I don't don't feel like I received any clues to change it. So I'm going to keep it. I am not confident in that answer, but I am going to keep that answer.
1: Okay, very good. I have a new prediction for you for this week. Before we get to the three trivia questions, here is my prediction. Um, So we saw this episode ended with how could you miss it? A, a shot of wedding rings tumbling all across the table and everything uh, got me thinking about weddings on this show. And I want to ask you now we've got 326 episodes left to cover <laughs> in this series. I would like to, you, you to give me a number. How many episodes from here on out contain a wedding? And I'm going to be more specific on this. This would be a wedding involving any of our cast members. Okay. Particularly individuals who get married along the way. Mm -hmm. Or any scene within the final 15 minutes of the show... Where the wedding is a plot point for the episode. I'm not talking about any maybe a random killer runs through a wedding or, you know, there's a wedding on TV. We're not, we're, not, we're not looking at that. We're looking at where it's either involving our main cast or side cast or if the victims are unsub somehow in that particular episode. You know, it focuses on a wedding. It's got to be a main plot point. And I'll be the judge as we go along the way. and We can argue over it when we get there. But how many weddings are we going to endure over the course of the Criminal Minds? We haven't had any so far. So how many will we have over the course of the run?
0: AJ, this is a great question. Um, I think that the wedding is a a common go-to because of the emotion it can provoke, especially in a show like this. I don't know. I don't have a feeling yet if we're going to get too much into the personal lives of these characters beyond, you know, their interactions on the cases. It doesn't s- seem like we get a little bit, but it doesn't seem like we get too much of that. But I still feel like, you know, over 300 episodes, 325 episodes, you're going to have maybe a few weddings uh, among some some cast members. Um and I think you're probably going to have, let's see, 15 years. I'm going to say maybe an average of one wedding plot point every other year. I'm going to go with seven plus maybe maybe uh, five weddings in total amongst the cast. So I'm going to go with 12.
1: 12. All right. We're going to write that down and we'll track 12 weddings. We'll see... What we see,
0: if we see, when we see. And I know that was a long answer, and I could have just said, "Ah, how about Twilight?"
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I like—I always like to hear people talk out their reasoning for it. In this way, you know, I'll remember this when we get to the <laughs> through the you know episode three twenty two, and and you're like, what, "There were no weddings." <laughs> what? <laughs> we shall, we shall see how that goes. All right, on to our trivia. Question number one, we, of course, enjoyed the wonderful work of Tony Todd in this episode. Uh, And I don't know if you knew this, that uh, he is not done playing Candyman. I'm not not sure if you're aware of this. Uh, This summer, 2021, uh, will be a new edition of Candyman. Uh, It is a script that is written by Jordan Peele. And it is sort of a remake, reboot, slash sequel. But it's going to all encompass the Cabrini Green area uh, and uh, and Candyman and Tony Todd will once again portray Candyman this summer so definitely looking forward to that especially since Jordan Peele has written the script so it's probably going to be pretty good Uh, Tony Todd has played other characters in movie franchises I want to know from you if you can name what movie franchise did he play a character named William
0: Movie franchise. He played a character named William. I don't think Worf's brother's name was William, so I'm gonna cut out the Star Trek franchise as one of my guesses. Uh,
1: Probably a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> uh, William, son of Moog, doesn't quite.
0: <laughs> I see. I have a vague memory of Tony Todd being in another horror franchise but i don't know if that's just my mind playing tricks on me and i also don't know if you'd really call this a franchise or a series but i'm gonna just say it what's popped into my head for no real reason and if i'm right it's a miracle and if i'm wrong it's what i expect i'm going to say the uh, i know what you did last summer franchise, if you want to call it that. I think it was two movies, but
1: there you go. No, that's, I would consider that a franchise, absolutely. Unfortunately, it's not the correct answer. <laughs> there are actually two correct answers for this. You had two, two chances at this. Uh, he plays a character named William in the Final Destination series oh. of films. He is kind of like a creepy advocate for death, kind of knows what's going on in terms of the, the whole series there. And he also played a character named William... In Tales from the Hood Three, <laughs> <laughs> A, an anthology series originally directed and created by Spike Lee. Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I I might have gotten final. I think I was thinking Final Destination, and I just couldn't remember what what I was thinking of. But okay, good job. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, final Destination, of course. In Final Destination Two, our good uh, our good friend JJ. A.J. Cook is the star of Final Decision 2, so she and Tony Todd, their paths crossed in that series, but not here in this episode. She did not encounter him, but uh, there you go. There's a a second connection for that uh, answer there. Right. Uh, All right. Did not get that one, but question two. I'm sure you've heard of a murder of crows. What do we call a collective group of foxes? What is the term for a collective group of foxes? I will give you multiple choice on this one. Okay. Is it... A
0: conspiracy,
1: a dazzle, a destruction, or a skulk?
0: Every once in a while, I read these collective nouns and go, oh, I'm going to remember that, and then uh, I never do. So, <laughs> And why would you? <laughs> um, I love the name A Conspiracy, but I feel like maybe I'm thinking of something else. Like, I... If it's not foxes, there is a conspiracy of something.
1: Well, I'll, I'll happily throw out there that all four of these are of something. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. I'm going to
1: go with skulk, AJ. A
0: skulk of foxes.
1: A skulk of foxes is absolutely correct. Well done. Well done. Uh, g- get this. It's a conspiracy of lemurs. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Or lemurs. It's a confederacy of dunces, but it's a conspiracy of lemurs. It is a dazzle of zebras. (laughs) And it is a destruction of feral cats.
0: Wow. (laughs) Which makes sense,
1: but wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you ain't kidding. Wow. Okay, question number three, and this is, of course... My favorite part of every episode where I will give you the title of the next episode that we're going to be covering next week. Criminal Minds, Season 1, Episode 8 is entitled Natural Born Killer. Natural Born Killer. Which of the following choices is the plot of Natural Born Killer? Season 1, Episode 8, Criminal Minds. Is it A, a rival FBI team battles with the BAU in an effort to see who can solve a triple murder first. Is it B? A road trip amongst college friends ends in disaster when one decides to act on his homicidal urges. Is it C? A teenage boy exhibits all the signs of being a serial killer, and his mom wants help before he actually kills. Or is it D? L gets taken hostage by a crazed man who soon regrets doing so.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I know what I want it to be, AJ. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Those are some good choices. And uh, I do want to say, by the way, this part of the show has gotten me to the point now where I don't look at episode titles on Netflix anymore. Which used to which used to be what I always would do, and I would always read the little preview of the next episode. But I've completely stopped doing that for this show, and now I'm kind of not doing that on other shows. Just wanted to throw <laughs> that out there. Um,
1: Although on shows like Friends, it's a little more obvious, you know, it's just the one with the, right. with the turkey is about a turkey, you know, <laughs>
0: right. Um, but anyway, the point is AJ. Usually I go away from what seems to be the obvious choice based on the title. This time I'm going to go with what seems to be the obvious choice uh, and say it's the the mother with the son who thinks he's going to be a killer and she wants the team to stop him before he's a killer. Okay. Very good.
1: Very good. That is your guess. Um,
0: no. No. <laughs>
1: I'm sorry. No. 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 If you had to guess the second time, what would you guess?
0: Uh, I forgot what choice two was, but that was my other choice. Uh, road trip college friends? Yes, road trip college friends. No, no ah. I'm
1: sorry. That's not it either. Yeah. Next week, we'll be watching uh, a triple murder and a rival FBI team battles with the BAU in an effort to see who can solve the crime first.
0: That was the uh, AJ, that was the one I was sure it was not. I was sure. I was like, "Ba, you wouldn't. Gideon wouldn't let them get involved in no kind of nonsense like that."
1: I mean, I'm not saying it's like an official uh, Old Town Tavern wager <laughs> yeah. or something here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's exactly what we're going to see uh, next week, and uh, I, for one, cannot wait uh, to see how it all turns out for you. I know how it turns out for them, but I'm not telling. <laughs>
0: Wow. I'm excited. Looking forward to it. Wow. This episode ran a little longer than I thought it would, Um, but that's okay. I hope you guys are still with us and enjoying the thing and uh, really appreciate all you folks uh, listening to our show. Uh, If you uh, have time, please be sure to uh, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform or let us know if you have a podcast platform that it's not on because I'm not sure if I've, Uh, Hit all the correct buttons everywhere, so definitely let us know. You can email us uh, at uh, baloniuspundits at gmail.com. So for A.J. Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up!
1: Foxes don't get as many lives as cats. Suishiru Morozumi.